singing a song we've sung a couple of times. It's called My Faithful Love, the faithful love of, of God for us. And the whole song is written from God's perspective. But I really liked something in verse 2. It says, Forgiven one, we're the forgiven ones. Lift up your broken gaze and dare to live in my restoring grace. That word dare really stuck out to me because I said, what does it mean, dare to? But I think a lot of times we're afraid to forgive ourselves. We're afraid. It's like we, we feel so guilty. That's what this whole song is about, trusting in God and living in his grace. My, the faithful love of God, my faithful love. <clears throat> Beloved one most precious in my eyes, I see your scars and hear your wounded cries. These tattered hands have caught your every tear. I share your pain, your suffering draws me near. For I still know the plans I have for you, and I will lead you in the way I choose. Trust now my heart, my grace is still enough, forever rest within my faithful love. Forgiven one, lift up your broken gaze and dare to live in my restoring grace. My blood atones for all your sinful shame. I favor you because of my great name. For I still know the plans I have for you, and I will lead you in the way I choose. Trust now my heart, my grace is still enough, forever rest within my faithful love.
heart, my grace is still enough. Forever rest within my faithful love. Forever rest within my faithful love. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Amen. While Luke and Amanda were singing, and I'm going to dismiss the kids, just give me a second here, so, okay. But while Luke and Amanda were singing, I was meditating on that chorus, resting in my faithful love and God's heart. And uh, I was praying, Lord, I feel disconnected. I feel like, some, like I need you to be here for this message today. I need you to, to give me the strength for this. And thinking about, well, what, why is there this disconnect and in my heart, there was, there was an anxiety, you know, an anxiety inside. Every time I get up and speak, to be honest, I have anxiety. I struggle with standing up here before you guys, okay? Um, when I get up and sing, I, I struggle with that as well. Not as much as maybe Katie does, you know, but, uh, but I still struggle with it. And I just remembered Philippians 4, verse 8, finally, my brethren, whatsoever things are true. And I needed that truth. Rest in my faithful love. God's love is faithful. And he is there. He's there with us, and he'll, he'll, uh, he's not giving up on us today. So that that was an encouragement to me. We're gonna go ahead and dismiss the kids, ages four years old to fourth grade. We have Mr. Schrader back in the saddle for children's uh, children's ministries over uh, junior church over in the cafeteria. So it's good to have him back. While they're all heading out, go and open your Bibles to Luke chapter number ten. Luke chapter number ten. <clears throat> I've been in t going through a series in our evening services on our walk with God. Just really just began that series. And it got delayed last week. And then we have a missionary coming in this week. And uh, I didn't want to keep on kicking that sermon down the road because I really am excited about preaching this truth. I think it is an important truth that we need in our walk with the Lord. So this morning, that's what we're going to be talking about. Uh, this morning during my, my prayer time, I was praying, and, and this time that I've dedicated to seeking God's face in the morning, and my mind flooded with all the things that had to be done. Have you ever had that 
happen? You're praying to God and you just think about, oh, I got to do this or I got to do that. Or this person said this to me and I need to have this discussion with them. And this is what I'm going to say to them, this, this, and this, right? You ever have that happen during your prayer time? And so often in our Christianity, it can become all about the things that we need to do, right? Christianity becomes about the things that we do. Maybe you got up this morning and you had to pick up the toys in the living room because somebody's coming over to the house for lunch today. Okay, and you're, you're distracted by all that, and then your kids have been uh, crying out, Mommy, Mommy, for the millionth time, and it's distracting, and you feel like you can't get anything done. As you walk back to your bedroom to get ready, you notice that your son, Joshua, dropped some Cheerios on the floor and just left them there. Teenagers do this a lot, don't they? Okay, so, <laughs> but they just dropped them on the floor and just left them there. And you're trying to do your hair, get your makeup done, and, and you've got a kid pulling at your skirt, trying to get your attention. And we've got so much to do on Sunday morning. It can sometimes be hectic and chaotic, right? And we forget what we're here for. We forgot to spend time with the Lord many times on Sunday of all days because it's busy, because it's crazy. Or we think, it's all right. God knows I'm going to church to serve him. He'll just overlook the fact that I spent no time with him today and throughout the week, and things are just going to be fine, right? And we get so consumed with church, with worship, with preaching, with teaching, with Sunday school classes. They just become another thing to do in our lives. And the busyness of our lives Christianity can become just another thing to do. Christianity is all about do, do, do. Do this, do that. Make sure you do come to church, right? Make sure you do do your devotions. Make sure you do go and, and preach the gospel to people. Do evangelism. Make sure you do parent your children the way that you should be parenting your children. As a pastor, I got to study. I got to fellowship with people. Otherwise, they think I'm, a, I'm this guy who doesn't like people. And, you know, so I got to actually go talk to people, right? Okay, so I've got to preach. I've got to plan. I've got to visit. I got to counsel. And you got all these things that need to be done. And after all, doesn't God expect us to serve, right? He does. Bible's full of that. But the answer is not necessarily a simple yes or no to that question. God does want us to serve him, but there's something that he wants more than mere service. And sometimes we can get sidetracked by that. And so we forget what he wants even more than that. So in our text today, we're going to take a look at the life of two sisters who entertained Jesus one day. They had Jesus over to their house, and, and they, they're taking care of him and providing for him. Because often our problem is like the problem that Mary and Martha faced in this text. We get our priorities out of whack, and we make something that's good become the main thing when it shouldn't be in our lives. So we're going to start in verse number 38 of Luke chapter number 10 here. Just a few short verses, but there is so much important truth packed into it. Verse 38 says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was cumbered about, much serving, and came to him. And said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. We'll continue reading in a second here. But first thing I want to look at in this text is Martha's problem. Martha has a problem in this text. <clears throat> Martha, she did what was expected. And sometimes I think 
that we, it's easy to throw Martha under the bus. She, she's the one that Jesus gets onto in the end and says she should have chosen something better, right? But we, we throw her under the bus thinking, why is Martha doing this and not doing what, Mar- what Mary did? But to be honest, this was what was expected by her society. She had received Jesus into her house, right? She was the host. Is, if you're the host, if you're hosting somebody at your house, is it all right if you go lock yourself up in the back bedroom? Is that, that good? That fair? No? Okay. So, no, it's not, right? <clears throat> and, and, and Martha, she has some responsibilities. She's got to take care of Jesus. They came. They want to eat some food, right? She's got to make sure the food's taken care of. But she was also doing what her culture expected her to do. This is, this is what women who entertained people were expected to do in those time periods. And as long as you're doing those things, people accepted that. They respected that. And I think in Christianity, we have certain things that we expect of Christians. We expect them to do certain things. Come to church. You need to be here, right? We expect that because it's what we need in our lives. But we also expect Christians to act a certain way and to do certain things and to get involved in service and things like that. And as long as you do those things, we assume this is a godly person. But subtly, there is a pressure to perform. And a lot of times, there's a failure to be the godly person, even though you're doing all the godly things. Because we want people to think well of us. We put on a facade. We make sure everybody sees me do X, Y, Z, because that's what they all expect. But my heart's not there. That's not really me. I'm just doing what other people expect of me. And Martha, she did what was expected of her. It also says here in verse number 40 that she was cumbered about with much serving. This word cumbered about here means to be distracted by. But it also includes the idea of a weight. Martha had a lot of things going on, and she was distracted by them. She was constantly making sure they were all taken care of. But when you're distracted by something, it means you're not paying attention to something you should be paying attention to, right? It's like if you're cooking dinner and uh, you get sucked into a TV show and all of a sudden you smell smoke, right? What happened? You got distracted. You weren't paying attention to what you should have been paying paying attention to. I think one of the best illustrations of this word, though, because it includes this idea of weight. She wasn't just distracted. She was weighted down by her responsibilities. But imagine taking a stroll through the woods, just a casual, leisurely stroll. And any of you guys who've been in the military, you know you've, you've had a rucksack on your back before, and these rucksacks, they're pretty heavy, right? Brother Montgomery, how much do they weigh? Yeah? <laughs> okay. I know, like, Katie's dad, he was a Marine corpsman, so he had to carry all the normal stuff and then all the extra stuff on top of that. And it, it's a lot of weight. But just imagine 100, 200 pounds on your back. And you're trying to take a casual stroll through the woods. Are you enjoying your walk through the woods right now? No. You're weighted down. You're pressed down. And you're, and you're not thinking about, oh, there's a lizard up in that tree. You're thinking, this is heavy. Okay? So, and it's distracting you from enjoying what you're there to do in the first place. Right? This was Martha. She, she was doing what was expected of her. She was fulfilling her responsibilities. But she was weighted down by the busyness of life. And it distracted her from what was important. Mary and Martha was so busy that she forgot who it was that was in her house. Could you imagine having Jesus over to your house for dinner? 
today? Anybody? What, what would you do if Jesus was coming over to your dinner? Probably you'd be rushing home right now to go clean up before he got there, right? Okay, so make sure everything's perfect. But Martha has Jesus in her house, right? And Jesus should have been the focus of her attention. Martha becomes distracted by the expectations. She becomes weighted down by those. But it also shows us in, the, in this passage here that she starts to begin to doubt God's goodness. Because of the busyness of her life, she doubts God's goodness. It goes on and she says here uh, in verse number 40, Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him. And she said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Now in English, when we have a question, you, have, you can ask a question and the answer is yes or it is no. In this passage right here in Greek, it's a rhetorical question. And Greek actually tells you what the answer that it's expected to be. In the, in the verse. When Martha said, dost thou not care? The expected assumed answer was, yes, Lord, you don't care. She was making an accusation that Jesus must not care about her because she is so burdened down by all this weight of, of serving and Mary is sitting over there at Jesus' feet. Martha is assuming that Jesus doesn't care about her and how hard things are for her. She is doubting God's goodness and I think sometimes we can feel weighted down by all the craziness of our lives, the things that we've got to get done, that we think that God just doesn't care. He doesn't see how hard this is, how, how much we've got on our shoulders. And we begin to doubt the heart of God, the goodness of God. I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 11 because there's an important passage that speaks to this issue that we oftentimes struggle with in Matthew chapter number 11. Verses 29 through 30. We're going to go back, actually, to 28. <clears throat> we think that God just wants us to keep grinding away under this burden, and he doesn't care. He's a, ta he's a hard, cruel taskmaster. And that's what Martha's struggling with. But in Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Does that describe Martha? Labor and are heavy laden, weighted down by the burden of everything that we have to do. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And what, what does he say? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, what is a yoke for? Anybody? Yeah, for oxen. And what do they do with it? They work together, right? A yoke is something that you put on you when you're going to work. So Jesus is going to give us rest, but then he tells us to take our yoke upon you. Start working, take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What is Jesus talking about in this passage? What is he trying to get across here? saying all you who are weighted down by the, the stresses of life, the burdens, the heaviness of all the things that you have to, have to do, come, join me, be with me, yoke up with me, and we will work together, but as we work together, what do I promise? What does Jesus promise you? Rest. Rest. And I think sometimes we, we struggle, and in, the, in uh, uh, pastoral circles, we talk about burning out in ministry. 
And I think, honestly, burning out in ministry comes back to this verse right here. Because we aren't yoked up with Jesus. We're yoked up to ourselves. It's hard for me to pull a two-ton truck behind me, but you get a couple cows together and they're pulling together, they're going to get the work done. I don't have strength in my own. So if I'm going to get the work done, who's going to have to do it? (laughs) It's going to have to be Jesus, and I need to be yoked up with him. And he says, I will give you rest when you are yoked up with me. But notice what he says about who he is in this passage. This is one of the few passages where Jesus directly tells you his heart for us. And he says, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He describes his heart as meek and lowly. He has a meek heart towards us. He has a lowly heart to us. The idea here is uh, with meekness is that Jesus is gentle. He is kind. And, he, and this lowliness, he is humble. His heart is not abusive. It is not demanding. It is not a cruel taskmaster. And it's not merely about serving himself. But what this verse reminds us is that the service of God is meant to be service with God. And if we are serving with God, he promises to give us rest. Verse, uh, uh, he, call, he, calls, he says that this service, when we take this yoke upon us, Jesus calls us to see him, to know him. He is gentle and he is lowly. As we take and we serve with him, we discover his heart for us. And it is easy. It is light when we serve alongside of God. Jesus, Jesus calls us to know him, and the promise is that we will receive rest. It's stated twice in this passage. And I don't think we oftentimes experience this because we haven't laid hold of what this verse is teaching. But I have to ask you two questions, right? Do you, do you first of all, believe that this is true? Do you believe it is possible to work alongside Jesus Christ and experience rest? Yes? No? Maybe? Okay. Is the verse true? And secondly... If I'm not experiencing that rest as I work alongside of him, is it because I've lost sight of the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus Christ? Is something, something wrong in, in the relationship that I have with him? It's an amazing how we can slip into feeling just like Martha, serving God, but we doubt God's goodness. We feel like he is cruel, he is harsh. Martha was so distracted by all the weight and the burdens that she was serving under, that she started to doubt God's goodness back in Luke chapter 10. And, it's, and then because of that, she gets into, she becomes anxious and she gets into a tizzy, right? <clears throat> Over everything that has to be done. She is careful and she is troubled. Careful is this idea, uh, be, be careful for nothing. You remember that, that passage? She is anxious, She has a a heart that is constantly worried about all the things that have to be done. And she is troubled. She is upset over these things. Because she's forgotten God's goodness, she she feels like she needs to take it all on herself, right? If God isn't going to be good enough to help me, then if something's going to get done, I've got to do it myself, right? That's the conclusion. And I think we default to that. We forget God. And we take on everything on ourselves and act like we have to get it all done ourselves. She couldn't stop and just be with Jesus. Do you see the progression here? She begins to doubt God's goodness. She takes on extra burdens on herself. And then she works her state up into a state of anxiety and she loses control. 
That's what Martha has done in this text. So Martha's problem was that she was so busy serving the Lord that she had no time to spend with the Lord. When we are truly being with Jesus, we discover, that his, we discover his gentle and his lowly heart. We find rest, even in the busyness, even in the work, and Martha forgot what was the most important thing in her life at this moment. And she chose to be consumed with busyness. The second thing we see here is Mary's choice. So Martha's problem, secondly, is Mary's choice, verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard, and heard his words. The story is so real because how often do we see families, when they get together, they get in these little spats back and forth, okay? Any of you guys got more than one kid? Okay, you're, you're going to see this, this dynamic going on. Br sister and sister, brother and sister, they have their little, their little fights. They're bickering, they're complaining, they're picking at each other, right? And these two women, these are women who they're praised throughout the rest of the New Testament. We see them multiple times in a positive light. And they're dear to the heart of Jesus. And I believe they walked with God. And yet, things, little, little tiny things are still stirring them up and they're, they're bickering and they're fighting between each other. But in this story, Mary and Martha, they had made different choices. Martha had chosen to become burdened down with the serving and to make that her focus. Mary had chosen else. Mary chose, first of all here, it says that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Sat, literally, this word means she sat herself down, okay? Now, this, this, is, this is not insignificant because she took the initiative to sit where she could be with Jesus. Went out of her way to be with Jesus. And in this culture, she was not allowed there. That's the thing. Disciples sitting at the feet of Jesus was reserved only to men in that culture. Men, women could not do this. But Mary said, you know what? Jesus is so important, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sit where Jesus wants, where Jesus is. I'm going to be with him. Remember, Martha was doing what was expected. Mary just did something that wasn't expected. And our culture prioritizes doing and being and serving. It doesn't oftentimes prioritize, even in our churches, being with Jesus Christ. And Mary chose. She chose to stop doing one thing so she could do another and sometimes maybe you, if you're one of those doers, you could look at Mary and say, she was just being lazy, right? She's just sitting over at the feet of Jesus. She's not doing anything. But that's not what this text says. Notice in verse number 40, uh, it says, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? That phrase right there implies Mary had been serving before Jesus got there, right? Which is the time to serve. But as soon as Jesus got there, what did she do? She stopped doing something that was less important so she could do something that was more important. Mary chose. She stopped serving so she could be with Jesus Christ. And Martha complains that her sister had left her. Left her. The implication is that Mary chose the most important thing. As I mentioned earlier in, the, in this text, this was not culturally accepted. But Mary was, doing, was not going to be denied what she truly needed in life. Nobody was going to tell her, no, you can't be with Jesus, right? Nobody was going to say, you've got to do all these things. Stop being with Jesus. She made this a priority. 
When was the last time that we fought to experience the presence of God in our prayer time? To spend time with God, to be with him, to have relationship with him. Or has our prayer time also just become something merely to do? See how it easily slips into that? Becomes something to do. So Mary sat, but she also put herself in the position of a disciple, not merely just being a servant. The phrase is at Jesus' feet. This position was, as I said, one that was reserved for men only in their culture. But Mary was not, going to ser- was not just going to serve Jesus. She wanted to be with him, and she wanted to learn from him. That's what a disciple did. A disciple is different from a student in school. student in school comes, and they hear a lecture, and they learn some things. But then what do they do? They go home. A disciple is with the teacher. They travel with them. They observe their life. They have fellowship with the teacher, and they learn the things that you don't learn from a textbook, that you don't learn from a lecture. And Mary chose that role in her life. Mary was not just going to to overhear some, some things as she was serving him, but she wanted to be at the feet of Jesus. I think a lot of times work and accomplishment, it makes us feel better about ourselves, doesn't it? When we do something and we actually succeed at doing it, But being a disciple involves humbling ourselves. Serving God can become something of pride. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have accomplished. Look at all the things I'm doing for God. Doesn't this make me spiritual? Doesn't this make me right with God? But being at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of Jesus, is a humbling experience. And Mary chose to humble herself. She chose to be a disciple. Both servants and disciples are underneath someone, but, but the difference between them is this. A servant works for his master, while a disciple spends time with his master. Third thing we see here is that Mary, her choice, she chose to listen and to hear, the, hear Jesus' words. Um, it says in verse 39, Mary, Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. Relationships are built on communication. Right? I've used this illustration Imagine you get married, and uh, after the honeymoon's over, you shove your wife in a closet, take her out every now and then. You got a good marriage? Yeah? No? Maybe? (laughs) No, you don't, right? Wives especially need talk, okay? In fact, last night, I told Katie, is there anything you want to talk about? And then she had nothing to say. It's only when when I don't ask that question that she has a lot to say. And then we're up till 2 a.m. Okay, no, so, right? But, But relationships need communication. They thrive on communication. And when we talk about, about these verses here, about doing, the focus in, in this passage must be on our relationship with Jesus Christ. The priority on, in Christianity must be of hearing from God in his word and talking to God in prayer. Not as a task to check off your list, I got this done, but as a pursuit of God himself and a pursuit of relationship himself. This is the difference between Mary and Martha. Martha chose to do, 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 do. But Mary knew that there was a time to stop doing and just be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us which of those two women chose the better option in verses 41 through 42. Because you might be geared towards a Martha and you might think, well, Martha did the right thing. Others might be geared towards being like a Mary and you might think Mary did the right thing. 
But Jesus tells us point blank. Verse 41 and 42. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So what does Jesus conclude? Mary chose the better part. Mary made the right choice. Martha made the wrong choice. But Jesus addresses Martha with love and concern. He doesn't berate her. Notice he says, Martha, Martha. When a name was repeated twice in, those, in that culture, in the, in the Bible times, it was a sign of endearment, of affection. It's, it's not saying, Martha, you did the wrong thing. No, it's saying, Martha, Martha, why didn't you choose this thing that is so much better? That's, that's the attitude of Jesus Christ. Again, we see the gentleness of the heart of Jesus. He doesn't berate her. He doesn't attack her. He compassionately and gently, lovingly addresses her. We also see that Jesus recognized that Mary had chosen something that was necessary and lacking in her life. The, the phrase, that one needful thing, the word needful means something that is lacking but necessary. Two concepts there, lacking but necessary. When you're hungry, what do you need? Food. When you're thirsty, what do you need? Do you have the food? Do you have the, the water at that moment? No, you're lacking it. Mary chose the thing that was lacking in her life, but the thing that was necessary in her life. Do we feel the same need in our lives for time with Jesus, for relationship with Jesus? When our day starts off running, do we yearn and miss the time that we spent with him? Or do we just go throughout the day and boom, it's midnight and oops, I forgot. Mary had a, had a desire for something that was lacking but necessary in her life. And we need Jesus Christ. Next Sunday evening, I will be, I will be uh, giving us the answer for why we need Jesus Christ in our relationship as a Christian. But we need him. He is necessary. He is not, he is not an extra add-on. He is what this whole thing is about. What is the main part of the word Christianity? Christ. It isn't uh, doing. It isn't doity, okay? It is Christianity. It isn't service. It isn't, uh, it isn't all about that. It isn't all about uh, the giving. It isn't all about all the other things that we do in Christianity. No, the focus of Christianity is Christ himself. There is no Christianity without that. Can we really say we are Christians if we don't have an active passionate relationship with Jesus Christ? Or are we just fulfilling a form of worship, doing what we know is expected of us? Jesus commended her for choosing the most beneficial thing in her life. He calls this the good part, right? She had chosen the good part. The thing Mary had chosen was better. Service is good. It's even necessary in the Christian life, but service without relationship is merely legalism and hypocrisy. The Christian life is not meant to be lived that way. And Mary had chosen the most essential part of Christianity. And then he says, she has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. He was not going to tell her, stop spending time with me so that you can go do more service. That's what he says right here. 
So here's the conclusion, okay? This passage lays a foundation for a truth that we must get. Jesus prioritizes being with him over doing for him. Say that with me. Jesus prioritizes being with him over doing for him. One more time. Jesus prioritizes being with him over doing for him. That's the whole takeaway from this, from this message this morning, from this passage. But doing is important. But doing without relationship is ultimately ineffective. It produces no fruit, no results, no fruit. James 1 verse 25 says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth there, therein he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we need to do, right? We must do. We must serve. But on its own, it's not enough. John 15, verses 4 through 5, which will be the text for next week, says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same shall bring forth much fruit. For, this is important, without me, ye can do nothing. We can accomplish nothing. Service is fleshly without spiritual relationship. Ministry is carnal without spiritual relationship. Warren Wearsby is quoted as saying, the trouble with too many of us is that we think God has called us to be manufacturers, like a plant producing a product, when he really called us to be distributors. He alone has the resources to meet human needs. All we can do is receive his riches and share them with others. Without Jesus Christ, we accomplish nothing, nothing of lasting true value. You can build a big mega church with thousands of people coming to it, but without Jesus Christ and a relationship with him, it's nothing. It's worthless. <clears throat> our relationship is our experience of eternal life in John 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life. What is it? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Philippians 3.10, Paul's desire was that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Eternal life, the gift that we received at salvation, the experience of it in our everyday, daily experience is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. That they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ. When somebody is truly being in a relationship with the Lord, the doing will follow the being. That's the key, okay? Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. A proper way of flow is, is a heart that's right with God, and from that heart we reach out and we serve him out of love, gratitude, and worship. <clears throat> the heart is important. Being is foundational to all of our doing. Being in relationship with him is foundational to all of our doing. All of our work for the Lord should come out of the overflow of our relationship with him. On a, on a practical note, have you ever wondered why it's so hard to encourage some people to serve God by giving out the gospel? Just an example, okay? We have visitation at the church periodically, um, and sometimes it's easier to get people to come than other times, right? Can you understand that? But why is that difficulty there? They, we can read the passages. They're there in the Bible. 
They tell us we need to get the gospel out. And I don't care what your, what your disagreements about soul winning might be, the responsibility for every Christian is to get the gospel out one way or another, right? But why is it so hard to get people to do, to serve him sometimes? It's because the heart isn't where it's supposed to be, and therefore it doesn't happen. Because something's wrong with the relationship. When I fail to obey God, it's because my heart's wrong, because I'm not in relationship with him. I have in my pocket, and I've made a promise this year to carry with me tracks every single day of my life, so I have them to give out to people. And this is not a pointless exercise. My family was saved because of a gospel tract, were we not? We didn't have people coming to our door witnessing to us. We didn't go to a church. The whole thing started because of a gospel tract. So you can argue and say, it doesn't work anymore, Jason. You're deceiving yourself. God can do whatever he wants to do to get the gospel into the hearts of people. But when I choose not to pull out this track at a restaurant, it's because something's wrong in my relationship. I know this is something I should do. I've made a commitment to do it, right? Maybe I forgot, but what does that forgetting say? I got too distracted by everything else I was doing to obey God, right? Or... I just choose to because I'm afraid. I don't like talking to strangers. I just don't. don't like talking to people I know. Okay, so it's, it's, not, it's not my cup of tea. So I just don't. It's, it's hard, you know? And at that moment, what am I saying? I'm choosing me over God. And something's wrong with my relationship. That's what it's showing me, right? Our doing comes out of our being. We don't obey because we don't love, right? If you love me, what will you do? Keep my commandments. So our doing comes out of a relationship, comes out of being in relationship with him. But also, being gives power to the doing. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing, okay? 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6 says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who hath made us to be ministers, servants of the New Testament. I cannot accomplish anything without Jesus Christ. I need him. And so I can grind away at the serving, but if I've forgotten my relationship with him, it accomplishes nothing of meaningful value. I can't do it without him. My sufficiency is of God. Periodically, we need to be reminded of the most important things in our life. And I'm thankful that someone as loved by Jesus as Martha struggled with this problem. Because this is common among many of us, among myself. So before we have our invitation tonight, I want to give you a practical exercise. I want you to answer three questions. If you've got a pen, go and write them down and write your answer down. Okay? If you don't have a pen, just think of your answer. Okay, give you a second to pull that out. Apple's obeying me. That's good. Okay, she's got her paper out. Okay, so first question is this. How many times do you spend in Bible reading and prayer during the week? Write it as a ratio. Is it two out of seven, five out of seven, seven out of seven? What would your answer be? You might be thinking, Jason, that sounds kind of legalistic. Hold on. Okay, write that answer down in your head. Second question, why do you spend time with Jesus?
and what do you hope to get out of it? Think about that for a second. Why do I get down on my knees and pray today? Why do I open my Bible and read it? Was it just because I feel guilty if I don't do it? Or was it because I have a desire for God and I want to meet with him? I can't answer that for you, only you can answer that. Why do you spend this time? And what's go what are you hoping to get out of it? And the third question, what is one thing you could change about your devotional life that would make it more meaningful? <clears throat> We're going to be talking uh, towards the end of the year on spiritual disciplines, and these things will help in revitalizing your walk with the Lord. But it is important that we start here. We talked, the first, le the first message on our walk with the Lord was about the garden of God and how God created a garden so he could be with his people. The challenge today is, is your focus on doing or is it on being in relationship with Jesus Christ? Let's all stand, head bowed, eyes closed. <clears throat> So I pray you'll honestly ask those questions of your heart today. If you need to talk to the Lord, the altar is always open up here for you to spend some time making things right, settling things between you and God. As the piano plays, I invite you to come up. Men, don't forget we have uh, Tom and Cindy Brewer are going to be with us tonight, uh, uh, just reporting back from Brazil. Uh, Daniel, do you mind closing us in prayer today? <clears throat>